five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside You, the college sports podcast. I am your host, Xavier Audic, and we are back for another Halloween-themed episode of Inside You. A lot of things to get into, starting first things first with last night's games and two crucial group of five matchups. Connecticut State beat Bowling Green. Final score there, 35-28, to snapping a six-game losing streak for Kent State in the Golden Flashes. Woody Barrett, three touchdowns. Keep in mind, this comes just recently after Bowling Green fired former head coach Mike Jinks. The other group of five showdown last night, Buffalo taking on Miami of Ohio, a game where not a lot of defense was played in this one. 42-42 at one point, Arlo Tyree Jackson got the job done with six touchdowns, three running, and three through the air, all to Anthony Johnson, who had a big night, whereas K.J. Osborne was more of a decoy for the Buffaloes. So, the Buffaloes are now the team to beat in the MAC, and they continue to impress. Jackson looked very raw, six foot seven, about two hundred and forty pounds. Very impressed with his skill set. Should be interesting to see if he ends up getting drafted at the end of this year. Certainly needs to work on the footwork a little bit, but he's got the arm, he's got the mobility, and he can move. So definitely going to be interesting to see what happens there with him in this offseason. I'm sure the NFL scouts lining up to take a look at him have only increased week after week as he continues to improve. So that moves us right into this week's top stories. No surprise, first one, DJ Durkin will be protested first tomorrow by the University of Maryland students. This protest was set up by the University of Maryland student government. And then on Saturday before DJ Durkin returns as his first game as Maryland head coach before the Terrapins take on Michigan State. Now, I want to go into DJ Durkin's decision, excuse me, the University of Maryland's decision to bring back Jerkin real quick. A lot of things came to mind. Essentially, this to me was a money grab. In Maryland right now, they don't get a full share of the Big Ten until 2021. Had they got rid of Jerkin, Evans, and Lowe, they likely would have had to face litigation from them and had to pay their expensive buyouts. Also, like I said yesterday, they have to pay off the majority of the $200 million Coalfield renovation. And Durkin, for whatever reason, even with all of the tremendous and serious allegations made about him by parents of players, players, former staffers, etc., remained popular among the influential boosters at the University of Maryland. So kind of a curious decision in that you have to wonder looking at it if this is a very short-term thinking by the University of Maryland Systems Board of Regents and the committee that investigated Durkin and the Maryland football program. I mean, many have already said it, but from a recruiting perspective, it's very hard for me to imagine how Maryland gets any top recruit to come to their program for the foreseeable future. Certainly, any parent bringing Durkin into their home would have serious questions about the entire Jordan McNair saga and some of the outrageous acts of behavior that were alleged in the report by ESPN and other people. Uh, also looking at Durkin, even with him being popular among the athletics program, only a 10 and 15 record overall. Last year, they were four and eight. Granted, they did have two big wins last year and this year over Texas, and they do appear to be trending in the right direction as a program. But, and this is another thing that we've already heard, is that amongst the players, it's hard for me to imagine that many of them want to play for Durkin. I said initially that before they even thought about bringing Durkin back, they had to go to the players and ask them if they would be willing to play for him. Already we're hearing reports of a number of starters having walked out of Durkin's initial address back with the team yesterday. 
And now they've got a tough game this weekend against the Michigan State Spartans. So going to be very interesting seeing how this whole thing unfolds. Uh, Again, just like I said yesterday, this was solely a money decision on my case. It makes very clear to me what I've known all along, which is while they like to bring up the safety and health of their students and their athletes and education and all these other things, at the end of the day, this is just a cash grab for these schools. And that's what we're seeing right here now. This gives us an opportunity to look at some of the top group of five head coaches out there in a Maryland program, especially where they're at right now. It would be very hard to get, let's say, an Urban Meyer or a Scott Frost level coach to go there, given that you're going to have to compete with Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, and some of the other top programs in the country. They're more of a lower level program within the Big Ten and then around college football, kind of an upper middle level program. And so they're looking at more of probably a group of five level head coach to come in or a coordinator who hasn't had head coaching experience to replace Dirk in the event they make that move. But, and this problem, I think also factored into that decision, you know, looking at some of the top group of five programs right now, Jeff Tedford at Fresno State, he's 56. Certainly his time as head coach at Cal didn't exactly end too well. Then Rocky Long at San Diego State, he's 58. He's made it very clear he really doesn't want to leave the Aztecs. Then you've got Josh Hoople, who's only 40, but he was let go during his time as Oklahoma offensive coordinator. Also, this is his first season leading Central Florida. I'm not sure if he has quite enough of a resume yet to make that jump to the next level. Brian Harrison at Boise State, only 41, but certainly lost a little bit of heat following what has been a somewhat disappointing season for the Broncos. Then you've got Scott Satterfield, who's only 45 at Appalachian State. Obviously was gaining a lot of traction prior to their loss this past week to Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, again, Chad Lunsford, very impressive what he's done there. Two and four record as an interim. He's now seven and one, and they are the team to beat in the Sun Belt. But similar to Jeff Tedford and Brian Harrison, I wonder, and Hooper for that matter, I wonder if his resume is there just quite yet to take that over. Then obviously Utah State, Matt Wells, he's 45, 41-33 record. Certainly has had his share of up and down during that time. Although this year they look to be poised to make a big run out of that group of five level. Should be interesting to see if they do end up getting a nudge into a New Year's Six Bowl, even with them not having been ranked in the initial college football selection committee's top 25. And then finally, a name that has been really quiet Major Applewhite at Houston. Here's a guy who spent a lot of time coaching at Texas. He's now at Houston. His team's seven and one. Their only loss was to Texas Tech. He's got in Ed Oliver, arguably the top defensive lineman in college football. But more importantly, he's got Derek Kling right now playing just phenomenal football. The pairing of White and former Baylor offensive coordinator Kendall Bryars appears to be a hit. And it should be interesting to see where he ends up in the long term. Now, another thing to remember is it's not just a matter of identifying a coach who would be willing to come in and coach Maryland, but you also then have to say who might be willing to take a job. I mean, you have to know going into this that it's going to be a very difficult upsell job when you go and try and get recruits and you're going to have to deal with the backlash from this entire Jordan Manier fallout, which still I don't think has officially subsided. So a very hard sell uh, should be interesting to see how the team responds this weekend. As bad as people, as angry as people are right now, and as mad as people are with the universities of systems of Maryland's decision and Dr. Wallace D. Lowe's decision to bring Durkin back, 
if they do win this weekend, I think that'll go a long way towards starting the healing process. Unfortunately, that's just the current state that we live in. Um, so that moves us along to something a bit more cheerful. Washington State head coach Mike Leach, always known for his colorful commentary, he was asked about techniques for Halloween, and he made two things clear, which is the first thing is the most important thing is the mobility of your costume. you got to be able to move around in it. And the second thing was to, as soon as possible, separate the good stuff and have your secret stash. Otherwise, your older siblings will take your candy from you. Leach talking from experience there, saying that he himself is the oldest, and he used to do it to his longer siblings all the time. So, again, Mr. Leach with the colorful commentary. And then that moves us along to the first AP top 25, excuse me, the first college football selection minis top 25, two group of five teams. They're finding their way in UCF seven and ranked number seven and Florida state, excuse me, Fresno state ranked number 23. Both of those teams, group of five members, central Florida's ranking doesn't really surprise me. Although while the committee likes to say that they only rank based on this season, them getting that seventh ranking in my mind has a lot to do with their last season's work. Looking at their schedule, they're seven and zero, but their best wins over a four and four pit team, whose best wins probably over Syracuse. Their best road wins over Memphis, who's four and four as well. And you have to look at their schedule and do kind of a balancing test between Georgia State or South Alabama to find their best win. Granted, they were hurt by the lack of the loss of the game against the, uh, North Carolina due to Hurricane Florence. But as I've said all along, I don't know how much a victory over a bad North Carolina team would really do for the resume, but they are 7-0. The big concern for the Chargers right now is the status of Mackenzie Milton. He set out East, uh, UCF's last game against ECU with an undisclosed injury, and he is rumored to be day-to-day in what will probably be the first true matchup of the of the nights this season when they take on Temple. So not really a surprise there, but again, they are undefeated, although I'm not sure I would have them as the top group of five team right now, but I'm okay with that ranking. The one to me that was a bigger concern was Fresno State being 23, especially having them above Utah State and arguably even Houston for that matter. They're 7-1, and one, but they've got a loss to a 4-4 four four Minnesota team. Looking at their schedule, their best home wins over Hawaii, who while they jumped out to a tear early on have kind of come back down to earth there and their best road wins over a subpar UCLA team. I don't think in my mind that does enough to get them rated above Utah State who while they're also seven and one their loss is to a five and three Michigan State team who managed to beat not only Penn State but also Purdue. Definitely you don't want to play Michigan State if your team name starts with P. Furthermore they've got a nice road victory over BYU, who even with them also being 4-4, four and four, managed to beat Arizona State the first week of the season when Khalil Tate looked like a legitimate Heisman Trophy contender and Wisconsin. And then they've got a nice home win over a Navy team, which granted this is not one of Kennedy Matola's better teams, but they're still deceptively good and they will get you if they sleep on them. The other team that I was disappointed wasn't ranked was Houston. Again, 7-1 there. They've got a nice home victory this past week over South Florida who beat Georgia Tech, who just beat Virginia Tech. Furthermore, on the road, they had a nice road victory over Navy, who beat Memphis by one point, the same margin of victory that sent, that Central Florida had over them. And their only losses to a 5-3 and three Texas Tech team, who managed to beat Oklahoma State, who just beat Texas. And again, this is a Texas Tech team, which probably the record would be better had not three of their starting quarterbacks been hurt. McLean, Carter, 
Allen Bowman, and then Jet Duffy, who filled in for the two injured quarterbacks. So this Cliff Kingsbury team looks better than normal. Their defense certainly appears to be better recently. And rather than rank any of either of these two group of five teams, the committee chose to go with four and three Iowa State. They've got losses to Iowa and Oklahoma, which people say, okay, fine. But then the loss to a TCU team, which just appears to be falling further and further off the tracks, certainly not excusable. Also, I have to wonder if Iowa State might be in line for a loss this week. And when they travel to Kansas, this will really be their first road game in a couple of weeks, and easily they could sleep on Kansas. The Jayhawks have a deceptive defense that scores a lot and forces a lot of turnovers. So it should be interesting to see. Already, just because of the matchup between Alabama and LSU this weekend, the next ranking will change. What I do have to worry about, as a lot of people have said, is if LSU wins, will the rumored bias result in Alabama rather than being dropped to 10 or 11, like an Ohio State had to deal with, ending up at just four, i.e. they could still get two teams in from the SEC West. Looking at it, that's what I've always thought was possible, was if LSU pulled off the upset and then runs the table the rest of the way, wins the SEC, do we see two SEC West teams, LSU and Alabama, both make the playoff with probably a undefeated Clemson and an undefeated Notre Dame. Remember, now looking at those numbers, that means that you're only going to have two conferences represented in the playoff, the SEC, the ACC, then you're going to have an independent Notre Dame, and that's it. Uh, certainly, that would be a bit of a slap into the face to the other three Power Five pr- conferences in the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12. I know that Washington State is supposedly in the running for the Pac-12, but it would take a lot of chaos for them to slide in. The other two that I think should still have a legitimate shot are Oklahoma, which was just a couple of field goal points away from beating Texas and being undefeated and has looked very good all year long. And then out of the Big Ten, obviously, Ohio State or Michigan should still very much be in the running. I know Ohio State lost to Purdue, but that kind of thing just seems to happen once a year. If they finish 11-1 and and you have a team that lost to TCU in the top 25 in Iowa State, then a team that beat them in a come-from-behind victory on the road in Ohio – excuse me, in a team that lost to them in Iowa State in the top 25, then a team that beat them on the road, in my opinion – in Ohio State should be in that top four. And they're still going to have to pull off a victory over a very good Michigan team, which looks like they'll be probably a top four team at that time. And then obviously they'd have their conference championship. Even with Notre Dame then running the table, Ohio State's resume might just be enough to put them above Notre Dame. And that's where things really get crazy. But again, this is the first ranking. Let's not read too much into it right away, but certainly very interesting to see how the committee's thinking. Uh, I know, obviously, UCF fans feel disrespected, but I hate to say this, but it really is true that their schedule just isn't that impressive this year. Now, that moves us along to a little bit of basketball news. Former University of Louisville head coach Rick Pitino has said that he wants an NBA job. Pitino saying that he does a great job developing and building talented teams and that he thinks he can do that. Now, remember, he's 66 years old and he was fired following a number of scandals, but the most recent one being his ties to the pay-for-play scandal that is currently plaguing all of college basketball. However, I will say that while he initially stated that he was looking into college jobs that I thought were completely out of whack, 
he could very well be a head coach in the NBA. Also, I think here is a situation where his ties to these shoe companies might actually help him. Looking around the NBA, a couple of young teams that I've identified where I think he could come in and serve as a nice kind of boost for them. The Phoenix Suns, who have just been constantly plagued by mismanagement and bad coaching. They've got a nice young team with DeAndre Ayton. Then you've got the Lakers, who I know they're 2-5 and five right now. LeBron James already appears unhappy, and it seems like it's just a matter of time before they move on from Luke Walton. That's the West. Then in the East, I think the 76ers, depending on what happens with them this year. I know they seem content with Brett Brown, and they just got rid of their GM only recently, but if they were to underperform, it might be a good idea to bring in a Rick Pitino, who's dealt with a lot of their roster in just the last few years during his time as a college coach. And then lastly, kind of a bit of an out-of-the-box pick, but the Cleveland Cavaliers, they've just got rid of their coach. They really do need kind of a spark plug. Maybe it'd be a smart decision to bring in a guy like Patino, who even if they don't win, will just get you some attention, get you some eyeballs, and keep you kind of in the conversation. So should be interesting to see what happens there, but it would not surprise me if he gets ends up with an NBA job somewhere, even if it's not the most desirable job. That moves us along to the Heisman Trophy. Now, unfortunately, after this weekend, it is again the Tua and everyone else show. Tagovailoa, 25 touchdowns to no interceptions. He hasn't even played in the fourth quarter yet. They're 8-0. However, looking at this next few games for Alabama, this will certainly be the time where Tua really makes his mark. They've got LSU this weekend who have some of the best defensive backs, if not the best, in college football even with Devin White being forced to sit out the first half, I expect Greedy Williams to harass the Alabama receivers. Then they've got Mississippi State, who has one of the best defensive lines in college football, and then Auburn in their usual Iron Bowl. Should be interesting to see what happens there. It'd be interesting to see how a loss would impact Tagovailoa's Heisman Trophy candidacy. But we're really going to learn a lot this weekend. Then, number two, I've got Kyler Murray. Murray, 28 touchdowns to three interceptions. They're 7-1. and one. But looking at their schedule, they've got a Texas Tech team that beat Houston, an Oklahoma State team that beat Texas, and then Kansas. And this is the really interesting game because Kansas forced three interceptions in the red zone by another fringe Heisman Trophy contender in Will Greer. That's a good comparison for Heisman voters to look at how Murray did versus how Greer did. And then in the true Heisman contenders matchup, they finished their season against West Virginia on the road. Remember, Murray, I've said, still is in the running because in their loss to Texas, he still managed to put up 45 points. That's converse to Dwayne Haskins, who in the Buckeyes' loss to Purdue just looked all out of sorts. Then at number three, a bit of a late addition, Gardner Minshew, the head co- quarter, the starting quarterback at Washington State, 26 touchdowns and six interceptions, and an astounding 438 yards this past weekend versus Stanford. Also, he's going to get that game day bump, like I mentioned before. But looking at their schedule going forward, the only shot that he might have to further his candidacy is the Apple Cup 10 this season against Washington. And then at four, late edition, who I'd love to see some get some more love, Derek King, the starting quarterback for the Houston Cougars. They're seven and one. He's got 28 touchdowns to five interceptions. Obviously, entering the season, the hype on Houston was surrounding another Cougar player, Ed Oliver, but with Ed Oliver having set out this last game for Houston and just the fact that he gets doubled and tripled teamed on just about every play, King has been forced to shine. He has done it last week against an undefeated South Florida team, 419 yards passing compared to 132 yards rushing. He is a dual threat. And this weekend, the Cougars have a game which, while you look at their records, might not be 
that important. They're taking on a very, very tough Temple team. So there's my top four right now. Certainly down to a four-man race. Obviously, you have to give two attack of a low a huge lead. But I think that Murray and Minshew, depending on how their seasons end up, could, with some help from Tua, make a late run at it. Then, that moves us along to previewing this week's top group of five games. Like I've already mentioned, two games happened last night. There's another game tonight between Ball State and I believe Ohio. But let me check that one out real quick. Hold on now. Wow. And in a move that has just been announced momentarily, DJ Durkin has been fired as the University of Maryland's head football coach. This is astounding. It just happened moments ago. Just completely surprised to see this. Remember, this happened literally one day after he was supposedly reinstated as the head coach of the Terrafins. This coming from University President Wallace D. Lowe, certainly a surprise. This is one of the good things that we're seeing with these public kind of displays by student bodies against head coaches. You know, obviously a more recent uh, version of this, what happened at Tennessee last year when the school announced that they'd be hiring Greg Schiano as their new head coach. Durkin here, like I said, being fired, they must have either been more concerned about the unhappiness within the student body and the Maryland community than they were about the potential backlash from boosters. Obviously, a decision like this doesn't get made unless a few crucial boosters were talked and had the approval from them. But very interesting to see this. Uh, Certainly a bit of a yo-yo of emotions here, given that just yesterday they announced that they would be bringing him back. Now they're firing him. Uh, shock more than anything, given that it appeared that if he didn't, if he hadn't been fired initially, he'd be here to stay. But apparently, finally, justice has been served in some capacity. Obviously, you're never going to bring back Jordan McNair. And it's very unfortunate, and his family has to deal with his loss. But the guy who really should have been taken out from the very beginning. Durkin did lose his job. I had a very hard time reconciling this whole dysfunction within the athletic department thing from the get-go. It seemed to me as kind of a nice word to throw up for really saying we don't have a real answer. Uh, You know, even with Damon Evans supposedly having just gotten there, he was the interim athletic director at Maryland for a period of time, I believe just under one year. Also, he was the football liaison from the athletic department for him to retain his job and Durkin and then Lowe kind of being the one scapegoat in that he just announced that he was retiring and the only real person to lose their job being head strength and conditioning coach Rick Court, certainly a bit of a cause for concern. However, it appears now that the university system in Maryland finally has agreed to fire DJ Durkin. Now, I will say that there's a bit of a question of whether this is possible. I know in a couple of other reports, they did state that The University System of Maryland's board did not actually have the authority to fire Durkin, only Lowe, given that they were the only ones to have hired Lowe. Uh, This was being analogized to the situation where the University System of Maryland attempted to fire a faculty member, but it appears that now they have finally made that decision official. I am pleased to hear it. 
just because of how outrageous it appeared that everything had gone. It really did not make sense for me for them to bring back Durkin for any reason. Uh, even the financial one just didn't make sense for me, given the more likely long-term hole they were digging themselves into. And they finally have chosen to do the right thing. So kudos to those within the university system of Maryland's board who made this move, pushed forward and got a job done. Now looking at Maryland, hopefully these players can finally move forward and continue to move away from what has been, I'm sure a very painful and traumatic time for these young men. So that moves us to this week's games. Like I said tonight, a game between Ball State and Toledo should be fun in case you're looking for something to do on Halloween. But tomorrow, then the real action starts. Northern Illinois traveling to Akron. Northern Illinois favored by six. They're looking at Northern Illinois' schedule. They're coming off a close victory over BYU. Final score, they're seven to six. They're five and three. Akron, on the other hand, they beat Northwestern earlier in the season, who's leading the Big Ten West. And they've since beat Central Michigan last week. Final score, they're 17 to 10. I think Akron pulls off the upset here. They just appear to be a bit of a more well-rounded team. Both teams can play defense, but I'm questionable of Northern Illinois' office, and I think they pull off the upset. That moves us along to the probably the biggest showdown in the group of five this weekend, Temple traveling to Central Florida. Central Florida favored by 10.5 there. Temple's 5-3, and three, but on a three-game winning streak and very much in the hunt for their side of the American. Also, they're coming off a victory over another undefeated Cincinnati team. Central Florida, on the other hand, is 7-0. The real question here is whether starting quarterback Mackenzie Milton returns from his undisclosed injury. Last week, in his stead, Daryl Mack Jr. filled in against East Carolina. Prior to the bye week for the Chargers, he had 120 yards rushing and one touchdown, although not much to the air. Essentially more of a running threat. Given how tough Temple is, if Daryl Mack Jr. were to fill in for Milton, it'd be hard for me to pick the Golden Knights to win. But with Mackenzie Milton, they should get the job done. Then, in a matchup of military academies, the Air Force travels to Army. Army favored by a touchdown there. Air Force is 3-5. and five. They're coming off a victory over UNLV. Army 6-2 and two coming off a victory over Eastern Michigan. Final score there, 37-22. I like Air Force to pull off the upset here. Certainly, both of these teams are a little bit down from what we normally expect. However, given that Air Force and Troy Calhoun and Arion Worthman go against this and run the offense that Army will be running against them, I think this will be a tighter game than people expect. I think Air Force pulls off the upset and in what will be an otherwise very close game. Then, BYU traveling to Boise State. Boise State favored by almost two touchdowns there, 13.5. BYU's 4-4 four and four with coming off a loss to Northern Illinois, like I said, 7-6 to six there. But they do have that big victory over Wisconsin. Also, they made a change recently at quarterback going from Tanner Magan and subbing in a younger Zach Wilson. Wilson was initially impressive against Hawaii, but came down to life last weekend against Northern Illinois. Boise State, on the other hand, while they've had somewhat of a disappointing year nationally, still 6-2, and two, they're coming off a victory over Air Force. And I think their ability to get the ball and move it with that offense and quarterback, Brett Ripien, is the difference maker here. So the Broncos pull that one off. And then the last game is Tulane traveling to South Florida. South Florida, they're favored by a touchdown. They're coming off a loss to Houston. Tulane, 
three and five, but coming off a victory over Tulsa, final score twenty four to seventeen. This really is a matchup of backup quarterbacks and Tulane. You've got former LSU quarterback Justin McMillan, who came in in relief last week and led the Green Wave in an upset over Tulsa. In South Florida, you've got Blake Barnett, who was the former quarterback at both Alabama and Arizona State. Should be a bit of an interesting rivalry there. I think the Green Wave gets the job done. While South Florida has been able to win just enough every year, they certainly have been without their struggles. It should be interesting to see how Charlie Strong's team responds to their first loss last weekend. And I think Willie Fritz's team comes in here and gets the job done. So that's it for me today, guys. I hope you have a lovely Halloween and a great weekend. A lot of fun football as we move into really the heart of the college football playoff race going forward. Also on Monday, I'll be breaking down the first two basketball games of the season. Two great games to start off this college football season. A number of the top programs in all of college basketball will be kicking it off for us this year to start it. On the first night of really um, big games in college basketball, that is the sixth. We have a couple of ranked teams going at it in. Give me one second. Here we go. Duke plays, excuse me, number four, Duke plays number two, Kentucky. Very interesting game there. Mike Krzyzewski and his talented freshman against a Kentucky team that is having players back for the first time in recent memory. And then conversely, in a game of equally important and fun matchups, Michigan State taking on... Michigan State, number 10, Michigan State taking on number one, Kansas. Should be another interesting game. Great way to kick off college basketball on this Tuesday, November 6th. I'll be breaking down both those games and giving some more analysis as we start off college basketball. So that's it for me today, guys. Again, I hope you have a great Halloween and a great weekend. A lot of good football to watch in the near future as these conference matchups start to further clarify themselves. Hope you guys have a lovely one, and I'll see you back on Monday. This is Inside You, the college sports podcast, and I'm your host, Xavier Roddick, and we are signing out. Bye.